Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next two hours are devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and ships and sealing wax, as my pretty bride likes me to say, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, and our chat room monitor, Andrea, await you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a terrific chat room with some wonderful folks that join us, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. Of course, we have a fabulous chat room, and right now everyone is sending lots of energy that we don't have ghosts and spirits infecting the system last time <laughs> the l- last time this uh, particular guest was due on the show yes we had um we had some technical hiccups yeah they lost a bus on the board and by the time it was um straightened out in the station we were too far down the highway so um <clears throat> i i sent her an email and pleaded with her to make sure <laughs> okay. speak nicely to the ghosts please okay <laughs> this is going to be a fabulous show we are looking forward to it and uh yeah the conversation at provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat is always very enlightening and we'd love to have you there so do come join us and we also want to welcome our new affiliate kmet am out of san bernardino riverside california uh they're broadcasting our shows now on Sunday, um, 10 o'clock to noon. Is that correct, Ravinder? That is correct. All right. In this week's Spotlight, I would like to once again return to the theme of minding our minds. Or perhaps I should say, mining our minds. In weeks past, I have discussed how technology promises to do everything from read our thoughts to literally direct them. And I'm not speaking of potential technologies. No, these are technologies that already exist and are being improved upon for deployment in the very near future in a number of overt and, I'll bet you, covert trials. When most people think of the mind and our thoughts, they draw upon images of a linear lexical nature, words. However, our feelings are also rooted in our thoughts, And so, our emotions are accessible as well via these new technologies. And more and more, the data miners are interested in our emotions rather than our thoughts per se. The interest has led to some interesting developments, such as the increasing popularity of the use of facial coding in neural marketing. Facial coding, technically referred to as facial action coding systems, or FACS, is based upon the work of psychologist Paul Ekman, as was the TV show. And even Disney is getting into the act using his system. Indeed, the new Pixar movies feature facial expressions identified in FACS to prompt mirrored emotions in the audience. Arguably, the great success of Pixar is not due to animation technology, but rather, as journalist Roger Dooley puts it, quote, the characters seem real not because of the lifelike animation, but rather because they have human emotions and reactions, close quote. Now this 
is not a new effort by Disney to plumb your unconscious, reach in and pull out your emotions. Their work with media science goes back several years, and they are not alone. More and more businesses realize that it's not reason making decisions, it's emotion. Enter a new way of generating an understanding of thought and emotion. Think about linking up with your friends and sharing experiences. What could be learned from this? Now, by linking up, I'm not addressing the idea of simply getting together. No, what I mean by linking up is connecting multiple minds literally together. Confused? Let me share a quote from an article titled, Linking Multiple Minds Could Help Damaged Brains Heal, that appeared in the online publication smithsonian.com. Quote, In recent lab experiments, Miguel Nicholas and his colleagues melded together the brains of multiple monkeys and rats to function as brain nets, shared networks able to cooperatively manipulate a virtual arm and make calculations and decisions, close quote. Researchers are working at this moment to, ve- to develop a non-invasive method for establishing brain nets in human beings. No hard wires, totally non-invasive, perhaps even remote controlled. Now true, this technology could really be a fantastic tool for treating certain diseases like Parkinson's or even paralysis. However, it could also hold the potential to remotely instill, what, a group consciousness? One designed by those who might be served via this manipulation? As we learn more about how the mind works, what prompts emotions, and how we express them, we gain ever more present abilities to manipulate the same. Is it unimaginable in your mind to think of a society where a remote, non-invasive means is employed to orchestrate the thoughts and feelings of a group? Perhaps I have just been too deeply steeped of late in research that's in my newest book, Gotcha, The Subordination of Free Will. And perhaps not, for there are already many uses of advanced technologies presently deployed for exactly the purpose of winning the hearts and the minds and the pocketbooks of the public. Your thoughts on this one, Ravinder? You know, that's all such a huge issue, but what you see in this particular story is a common theme played out. You know, the fact that, first of all, it begins with the entertainment. You know, when you're talking about Pixar, I find that fascinating because you take, you know, the characters on the screen are always so unreal looking, but they do pull on your emotions. They do manage to get the reactions. They get everything down perfectly, and how can something so unhuman looking, you know, be able to do that, but it works really well. And then they, you know, they start taking these ideas and they have therapies and how they can help people. And then following that, you have the control. It, it, it is a repeating pattern. And that's one of the things that I saw as I keep going through your book, Gotcha, which I think is vital reading for absolutely everybody because you cannot begin to claim yourself until you throw out what isn't you. And you have to be aware of all of this stuff. I found the book, you know, the book is, um, it's dark. It is dark. It, it, it can be depressing 
too, but I found it empowering because once I see what they do, I have the ability to think again. So any information that comes into me now, I think of it differently. I assess the information differently. So it's a lot harder for them to pull my emotions, not saying it's impossible. You know, I have you to keep me in check with some of that stuff. In fact, we, you know, check and balance each other. But True. But I do have a whole host of tools to prevent someone from pulling my strings quite as easily as they once did. Um, So I'm really excited about Gotcha coming out. I think it's actually going to be out in print sooner than we were expected. So we are looking at a couple of weeks out, but right now there is a pre-order special where you can get the book at a discount and free shipping anywhere in the world. You can get information for that just by going to eldentaylor.com. It's, as I said, I think it's absolutely vital reading. I found it absolutely empowering. So, yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. And, you know, I all of your books I, I've enjoyed. I've, I've gained lots out of but there are some that just have a more immediate impact, and that's what Gotcha did the very first time. I started reading that book, and I couldn't put it down. First of all, there's a fascination factor about how the mind works and, you know, why we do the things that we do, but then, you know, you just take that story further and further and further, and it's, um, yeah, jaw-droppingly incredible. All right. <laughs> There's my endorsement for the day anyway. Okay, and that kind of took me by surprise. I I'm didn't sorry. know you were going to do that, but okay. Every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our guest was Inaki Coden, and we discussed the dying process. Fred wrote, I find the whole notion of death as an adventure too frightening to really consider, and I don't think I'm alone. Emily wrote, the most rewarding thing I have ever done is volunteer work in a hospice. Andrea remarked, I think it would be a very difficult job, not only telling their loved ones, but also dealing with your own grief if you developed a relationship with a person you cared for in a hospice nursing home hospital. Mark wrote, I believe that those who are near death have a unique perspective to inquire into the meaning of life. What I find most interesting are the insights that come to those who are dying or who have near-death experiences, who then return to a healthy state and attempt to apply the meaning of those insights to their own lives. CB noted, a master, I read talks about meditation being the practice of dying while living, and that the separation of the soul from the body can be an uncomfortable process, but that meditation gives one practice at what the feeling is so there is no concern. Okay, moving on. Anna Marie wrote, I can't thank you enough for your InterTalk programs. They have made such a difference in my life. Tony wrote this. The change comes from the inside out, not from the outside. I wrote this down four years ago. How true it is with InterTalk. So glad my life has changed so much for the good. Thanks, Eldon Taylor. You know, well, thank you, Tony. It can seem absolutely amazing what happens when we truly believe in ourselves. Take Ravinder, for instance. <laughs> I couldn't resist that. You were looking for <laughs> Tim wrote, 
I live by your seven fundamentals of happiness found in your wonderful book, Choices and Illusions. I would love to share your seven fundamental secrets with the workshops I will be running. With your permission, I would love to share your amazing knowledge with my group, please. Well, permission granted, Tim. And, of course, I'm joking, Ravinder. You know <laughs> and Angela left this message. I am so very grateful for the free MP3 programs you offer on your website. They have been a real lifesaver to me at a time when I can barely afford to put food on the table. Thank you so much. Now, for all of you out there, we do offer a few free InterTalk programs on InterTalk.com. That's I-N-N-E-R-T-A-L-K.com. They are there to help you, so check it out. Just go to InterTalk.com and choose the left-hand navigation pane, scroll down to free MP3s, and you're there. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for the letters today, but I do invite you to opine by sending your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, Eldon at EldonTaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. And I want to thank all of you for your letters and comments. We truly do appreciate your feedback and support. Now to this week's show, Toward the Light, Rescuing Spirit, Trapped Souls, and Earthbound Ghosts with Amy Major. Now, it's not too common to find discussions of those who have passed informing us of the negative possibilities that one might encounter. Negative doesn't seem to be something anyone wants to discuss. It's almost like the good old unwritten rule, the one that instructs us to tell them what they want to hear, and only what they want to hear, prevails in dialogues dealing with death and dying. However... The evidence that suggests life beyond the grave is much more than just the friendly, wonderful, glowing reports that we might have in some NDEs. Indeed, some NDEs have some rather frightening reports. And some of our best evidence comes from mediums and otherworldly activities of life after death, such as poltergeist phenomena and the like. That said, there are those who scoff at the notion of ghosts, evil spirits, life after death, ghouls, and so forth, as some kind of New Age junk. I don't know where they get New Age, but, you know, I, I have no clue why they choose to label it New Age, since evil spirits are dealt with in most religious systems. But the skeptics like to call it that. You know, the casting out of evil spirits have been passed down through the centuries. There's nothing New Age about activities such as exorcism, so again, the labeling simply eludes me. Nevertheless, there are many who place the notion of earthbound spirits and trapped souls in the waste can of New Age myth. So what's the truth, and can this question even honestly be answered, or does it beg a more important question, that of our attitude toward life and death, and therefore our willingness to believe that which supports what we want to believe? Enter today's guest, Amy Major. Her copy states, and I quote, Amy Major is a psychic, empath, and medium who has helped many people with her abilities. At a young age, she learned she had the ability to communicate with her spiritual and animal guides. Throughout childhood, she developed astral projection as well as the ability to see auras and energy surrounding people. In her early 20s, Amy was told by her guides that she was able to communicate with spirits. While exploring her ability of mediumship, she quickly learned that she had a very strong rescue mediumship skill. Amy now dedicates her time to rescue work and educating people with spirit rescue. 
All right, on that, let's get her in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Amy Major. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you for having me. Uh, it's our pleasure, and your spirits must have cooperated this time because you're here and we have no technical issues, knock on wood, right? Exactly. They were a little fussy last time, but I made sure that they uh, they left the building this time. I was able to get on the phone. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Amy, look, we like to establish three things in our interviews. Who is the messenger? What is the message? And, of course, how do we use it? So to that end, let's begin by having you tell us about yourself. Uh, what was your childhood like? Were you popular? Were you involved in sports? Uh, were you a loner? Um, you know, tell us what young Amy was all about. <laughs> Young Amy was a little entertainer. I was, I'm a Gemini, so of course everything had to be, I had to be the center of attention. Uh, my parents actually nicknamed me Star because I, we had a little fireplace where I would stand up on stage and sing and dance for everybody. So the idea of being the center of attention was very popular for me. <laughs> but um, throughout most of my childhood, I was very quiet. Um, and very alone most of the time. I usually would spend a lot of time by myself drawing and writing and um, kind of just walking um, to the parks and playgrounds. I grew up in a very large family. I have a twin brother, two sisters, uh, two half-brothers. It was a very large family, so I'm kind of the baby of the family. I'm number five of six of kids. So there's always people in my home, always something to do, and I always found that I wanted to get away from everybody and sort of be on my own and play by myself. Um, I just, I've been that way my entire life. Whenever I'm around a lot of people, I find that I sort of stray and get to myself. I like to be by myself and think and, and talk to my guides and spirit all the time, which I did a lot when I was a kid. Um, so it's just mostly just I was able to communicate with my guides at a very early age. I had a lot of um, past life dreams and feelings of past lives, I would actually freak out about a few things, and my mom never knew what it was about. I'm like, no, it's not about this life. It's about the other life. <laughs> She's like, okay, Amy, whatever. But, um, yeah, I had a lot of experiences as a kid, and I did a lot of astral projection. I was very rarely home um, in my physical body. I was always out exploring somewhere else. Um, very connected to animals. Actually, at a, at a young age, wanted to become a veterinarian. Um, had to have animals around me all the time. Uh, I grew up in uh, Los Angeles area. I grew up in Long Beach, California. Um, I do live on the East Coast now. But, um, but, yeah, so it was just kind of, you know, I just had a conversation with my brother the other day, and he's like, you were very quiet as a child. I'm like, you have no idea what I was doing. I kept everything for myself. But, um, yeah, I guess I was labeled as the quiet one growing up, and, always trying to go out and explore, and I found out through my teenage years, I was always trying to counsel people and help people through hard situations, and everyone found that I was the person they can come and talk to. Um, in my late teenage years, I would actually have dates, and I would end up with the guys cry crying in my lap, telling me their whole life story, and I'm like, okay, I don't think I'm going to go on a date with this guy anymore, but thanks for the opportunity. <laughs> um, so just, I, I found that I, I was counseling a lot of people. Um, and so in my it, 20s, you know, I had a lot of experiences that sort of opened me up. 
So if you weren't on stage, you were a recluse. Uh, exactly. projecting I have that or, personality. Okay. So uh, how old were you when you initially began to have these conversations with spirits? And, and were you raised in a religious environment where that was acceptable? I started having conversations with my guys probably around the age three or four. And no, my family was very non-religious. They didn't, they never talked about God. They never went to church. Um, my dad was Jewish. My mother's Methodist. Um, both were very non-religious. My dad did not believe in God. He didn't believe in the afterlife. Um, no one ever talked about anything. No one ever talked about guides or angels or death or dying in my family. I was sort of the outcast. I was the one always asking questions. I'm like, I really feel there's a God. I really feel I'm connected. And I would go out with my friends to their churches and sort of like, oh, I'm just going to play with them at their house, and I would actually go to church with them because I felt my family would sort of make fun of me. Um, but then I would go, and I would try to find my interest, find where I, I fit in, and I never really fit in anywhere because everything seemed too restrictive to me. I felt like I had a deep connection with God and with the other side, but I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't have anybody to talk to. So all the experiences I had as a child, I sort of kept to myself, and I didn't tell anybody what was going on. So your guides themselves, how old were you when you began to communicate with them directly? I think from the age of um, four or five is when I started talking back. I never knew they were guides, though. That's the thing. They were just always the voices in my head and the ones that would always comfort me and tell me that I was okay and, um, you know, influence me, make me feel better. I had a very kind of abusive childhood. Um, my mom was bipolar. So it was a very rough, very negative childhood. I felt I was very protected. And I always had my guys there to sort of comfort me and, and help me and let me know that, I was going to be okay, and so I, I had a lot of protection around me as a child. So, And I think through very traumatic experiences like that, it does open you up quite a bit, and so I think I was just that more sensitive to being able to hear them because I needed somebody. So how old were you, Amy, or did you come onto a book, read something that, that triggered understanding these internal voices as something more than fantasy fulfillment, you know? Uh, having genuine meaning. I mean, how old were you when that connection really took place? Or did it happen just at that early age? Did you just intuitively know that it wasn't yourself talking to yourself? I always thought it was my inner voice. You know how people always talked and mm -hmm. said, well, we have that inner voice that you hear. Sort of yeah. like I always related it to my subconscious mind talking back to me because I didn't have anything else related to. I didn't know there were spirits on the other side or guys. I didn't know anything about that. I always thought the voices and feelings came from within, which they did. So how could I relate that to anything in spirit form? It wasn't until my late teens into early 20s that I was introduced to mediumship, introduced to guides and angels, and realized, well, this could be something more than just myself talking back to me. I, I never knew what it was, um, but I just knew whenever I asked questions, the answers would always be there. And I would hear 
voice is talking within me. So it felt very natural. It felt like, well, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. It felt like it was me, just a connection of me on the inside that had all the answers. So it's just hard to explain, but it's just I didn't make that connection to spirit form until I understood more about the spirit world. And once the spirits did come through and like, well, this has been us the whole time, I didn't believe it. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is just, these are just my subconscious mind talking back with me. I didn't believe it. I'm going to ask you to hold it on that, Amy, as we've got a break coming up. When we come back, we'll pick it up. We're speaking with Amy Major about her life, work, and books. To learn more about Amy, visit her website at amymajor.com. That's A-M-Y-M-A-J-O-R.com. Okay, remember to join Ravinder and Andrea in the chat room. You can do that by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Gotcha by Eldon Taylor exposes just how far the reach of propaganda, brainwashing, and public manipulation has advanced. You will learn about the many covert activities designed to marginalize your freedoms and educate you to march in lockstep with the agenda of the so-called elite, including advanced technologies used to subvert resistance. 1984 has arrived and the plutocracy is in charge, and most are totally unaware of just how deep the tentacles reach. They don't want you to have this book. There have been broken deals and even indirect threats designed to stop Gotcha from being published. Set for release in September, you can pre-order it now at the discount price of $19.88, with free freight to anywhere in the world. For details, go to eldentaylor.com forward slash gotcha. Don't wait, get your copy while you can. That's eldentaylor.com forward slash gotcha. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Open you take that jump, you don't feel the fall. When the water rises, you build a wall. Open the crowd screams out, you're screaming your name. Hope if everybody runs, you choose to stay. Hope that you fall in love and it hurts so bad. Where I live Hope 
what you spend your days, but they all add up. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Amy Major about her new book, Toward the Light. Now, we ask our guests for three pieces of music, three of their favorites, music that has some genuine significance to them. Music is more important uh, to most of us than we recognize. It can awaken forgotten memories, and it has restored lost states of consciousness. Indeed, music psychology is a field of research with uh, practical relevance to many areas, including investigations of human aptitude, skill, intelligence, creativity, personality, and social behavior. As such, there can be a great deal of self-disclosure in the selection of one's favorite music. So now we just played I Did It All by One Republic. Why is this one special to you, Amy, and how does it instruct us about who you are? Well, I, I chose that because I absolutely love the song from the moment I heard it. It's so inspiring. It really does help people understand that they are capable of so much more than they ever imagined. You know, society has led us to believe that we can't do things and that we're restricted. And if people just took a little bit of time and believed in themselves and knowing that they were able to accomplish anything, that they can create such a wonderful world for themselves. So when I first heard this song, it was just, it was so inspiring to me and, and to let people know this is how I feel and this is a message that I want people to know. You know, when I work with spirit and when I work with rescues, this is the message that they keep telling people is live your life, live your dreams, do what you want to do, and don't look back because life is too short. Wonderful. All right, listen, before the break, you were you were discussing with us what it was like as a child in this transition between talking to inner voices or listening to your inner voices and, and suddenly you're getting answers and you're actually talking to spirits. Pick that up and, and explain to to us, if you will, where it was or what where the point came where you were no longer just talking to yourself, but you were indeed talking to spirits and you were aware you were talking to spirits. I think it was through um, the first reading that I had, the astrology reading that I had years ago, my... Um, She's my ex-mother-in-law now, but my mother-in-law took me to an astrologer. Uh, the astrologer told me, well, you're very psychic. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And I'm like, no, I have a few experiences, and I feel certain things, but I don't think I'm psychic. And she explained to me that the way I've been feeling has been my ability and my ability to talk to spirit. And I didn't believe it. I'm like, no, I, I don't believe in all that psychic stuff. You know, a psychic to me is like a gypsy lady with a crystal ball. I don't do any of that. That's not oh. me. How but old were you when this was happening? I, was, I think I was 20, 21 so, okay, when I so, had that reading. Uh-huh. So uh, I, I didn't and, mean to interrupt. Please continue. Yeah, I just wanted to get a picture of how old you were. Yeah, 20, 21. And I think I started opening up more when I was around 16. 
15, 16, but I didn't understand the experiences I was having. Um, but I think once I found out that it could be spirits, I started asking for proof, kind of like that skeptical person saying, okay, really, if you think you're a spirit, then prove it. Because I grew up, again, in a very non-religious family, um, and everything I, I was experiencing, feeling, I thought there was something wrong with me. I thought, well, you know, not many people feel this way. So why am I feeling it so strongly? Um, so I asked, started asking for proof, and they were giving me a lot of proof. I mean, they would give me billboard signs with things that I was looking for. And it was absolutely no doubt in my mind that these spirits kept coming through because as soon as I'd see the sign and I would hear that voice go, well, how's that? Do you like that sign? I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is really spirits talking to me. It was kind of like that moment where I didn't believe it, but then it was right in front of me. So it took many years for me to really grasp the idea that I could be a medium because the whole idea, I believed in spirits. I believed in the afterlife. I just didn't know we were capable of communicating with them. And I didn't understand how easy it was and how natural it was and how I've been doing it my whole life without even knowing. So I think it was my early 20s that really opened up my eyes. Do you think many people, I mean, uh, from my own experience, there would be a lot of people that I've had conversations with that would really relate to how you tell the story of unfolding. They have the inner voice, and the inner voice reassures them. And and sometimes they even have promptings that then uh, lead to verifications, what you call proof or evidence. Do you think many people possess this ability and they just turn it off, just turn their backs on it, shut it down? Or is it just a few people that possess this ability? I think everybody has the ability to communicate with their guides and with spirit. Um, I do think they all shut it off because, again, we all misinterpret it to be our imagination or just our own inner feelings. We don't think that it could be coming from an outside source. Um, there are the select few that have it amplified even more, such as myself. We're able to hear it and all the time and get messages and information and and be so strongly about it, and for the spirits to actually say, you have a mission. You are here for a reason. They used to tell me as a child that I was different. They used to tell me that I was meant to do something important. I had no idea what that was. They didn't tell me uh, until further on. We're like, okay, we're ready to tell you what you're supposed to be doing now. I'm like, okay, that's great. Um, I think for a select few, we're able to use this ability and enhance it to help others, but I absolutely believe everybody has the uh, the ability to speak with their guides and hear them. Okay, let me ask you this. You know, you you used a couple of words, you know, that are imagination and proof. In your early life, according to your copy, you began astral projecting, and you've told us right here on the show that you weren't home much, to use your words, all right? What kind of proof did you have that that just wasn't your imagination? Well, I think it was when my family would walk up to me and they would talk to me, but I wasn't aware that they were talking to me. My mind was somewhere else. They actually would have to shake me awake. And I would physically feel myself come back into my body. 
it's almost like your mind is there, but you can't physically move. You can look around, but you can't talk. You can't move your body. You can't react to anything. It's almost like your mind is aware of what's going on, but your yourself is somewhere else. And you can actually physically feel yourself coming back into your body. And once you're in there, you're like, oh, I can move around now. And it sometimes could take a few minutes for that to happen depending on how far you've gone. So I've had the physical proof myself, knowing that it wasn't just my imagination. Um, but it took a while for me to understand that. So were you participating in, like, dual roles of consciousness uh, there and, and aware that, you know, your parents or someone was trying to get your attention, shaking you, and somewhere else where you were observing something else? I think, yes. I think I was more aware of where I was going, but then once someone started shaking me, my mind came back, and I was aware of what was going on around me, but I couldn't react to them. So it was weird. It was like I was one place, and then I was back in the room. Where I was at, I just couldn't move. So it was, it was kind of like my, my mind was able to come back. My consciousness was able to come back quickly, but my soul was somewhere else. Okay. Amy, you heard the setup piece. Um, how, you know, any of us, how are any of us, I should say, to verify that, you know, there really are trapped souls or evil spirits or earthbound ghosts? I mean, when you're asked that question by a skeptic, how do you answer it? I think it really goes by personal experience. Because you can really tell somebody to your blue in the face that you believe in this. But until they actually experience it for themselves, they probably won't believe you. Because if they're asking you that question, there's a, a series of doubts that they have, and they're not really open to it. And I think sometimes they have to have that physical proof in order for them to understand at their own level. I do tell people there are earthbound spirits. I know there are. I've talked with them. I've communicated with them. I've counseled them. I've helped them to the other side. I've talked with my guides, my angels, my spirit team. I have been trained in this for almost 14, you know, 14, 15 years now. I know without a doubt there are earthbound spirits. I'm not here to prove this to anybody. I'm here to help those who already believe. And I'm here to help the spirits who are trapped. Because they don't care whether someone believes whether they're trapped or not. What they need is they need help from us here who do believe in them to help them counsel them through their tragedy and help them find their way to the other side. So people can doubt all they want. My focus is to aid the spirit. Right. Why do you think, Amy, there are so many tales of, you know, friendly spirits and a loving afterlife and so little focus uh, regarding, you know, abandoned or lost or trapped or, you know, the darker side of the afterlife? Well, I think people don't like talking about the negative side of things. If they don't talk about it, then it doesn't exist. And if they do talk about it, it hits home to them because it becomes a personal thing. Well, if this can happen to them, then it can happen to me. And I don't want that to happen to me. I want a crossover, and I want to be in heaven, and I don't want there to have to be any doubt in my mind that something else could happen to me other than making the full transition into heaven. So 
if this happens to somebody else, it could happen to me. A lot of people also have sort of different cultures and faiths and backgrounds to make them believe that, you know, death is a bad experience and that, you know, if there are earthbound spirits, then they're bad because they're, they're here for a reason and they deserve to be earthbound. They don't deserve to be in heaven. So they don't talk about it because it's almost like they turn their back on them. They're only going to concentrate on the good things because that's what they're trying to provide and bring towards them is the positive side of things. It's only those who are more geared towards counseling and healing and guiding that we actually concentrate on the negative things because we're here to help. We have to focus on it. Okay, now, Amy, most people, excuse me, but most people would fit you into what's generally referred to as a new age environment. So, you know, you're going to have the the mediums and the new age writers, authors, and so forth. Um, and yet, in that environment, there is, uh, you know, there is an attitude that if you think about evil, you create evil. If you recognize bad, you, you're, you're somehow creating it. There is a denial. I think of it as a denial element. Uh, how, in your interactions with that group, how do you, how do you, I mean, how are you received when your business, your career is about dealing with those that are earthbound? Well, the whole new age thing is great. This isn't very much new age. I think they call it new age because we've been newly discussing it. But it's something that's been around for a very long time. It just people don't talk about it. They didn't used to talk about it. It was, you know, something that they would, you know, be killed for. No one ever talks about this. This is evil stuff, you know. And I think because people are more open and more accepting and more aware that this isn't all bad, that they're now being able to really discuss it and understand it in a different way. You know, I think when people say that they don't want to talk about the negative side of things because they don't want to bring that towards them, I understand that. You know, the power of attraction is very strong. But they also have to understand we go through very negative things in our lives. You know, there's times when we experience sadness and fear and loss. But those emotions don't make us bad people and they don't make bad things happen around us. We are able to get through that and lift our vibration and our mood and our emotions to be able to see through that and to bring positive things towards us. So in order to talk about people or bad things or bad situations, it's not going to bring evil towards you, if anything. And I, I don't want people to think that earthbound spirits are evil. You know, there's a very small percentage of earthbound spirits that are evil or very negative. Most of them are not. Most of them are scared you know, or, or angry that they've died. Most of them can't let go of their loved ones here. You know, most of them, some of them are scared, some are children. So you can't think just because they're earthbound that they're negative and not to talk about them and turn your back on them isn't helping anything. You know, we're all supposed to be here to help each other out, to work as a team. And so I, I decide not to turn my back. Long, long time ago, I heard a definition for luck that I particularly like. It's when preparedness meets opportunity. And it would seem to me that being awake and aware spiritually in our life requires that we understand 
that it might not be quite as easy as we would like it to be and that burying our head in the sand is not going to in any way, shape, or form prepare us, whether it's breaking free from some of the indoctrination our society voice upon us or it is in recognizing the truth that planning, uh, preparing for that chapter of our life we call death, that crossing over, is an important element in living. Do you accept that notion, or do you think that's faulty, Amy? No, I think it's accurate. I think by understanding and, and not burying our head in the sand and being able to be aware of the dying process is equally important in our lives. Death and life are one and the same. They're just different transitions and different vibrations of energy. So I think it's important to understand this and understand earthbound and the process of dying because when you look at that, it helps you live your life to the fullest. It helps you accomplish more goals and be able to live out your life purpose so that when you do get to the dying process, you're not going to have any problems at all. But if you turn your back and you don't pay attention to it and you're not willing to even listen to this, then you're facing the fact that you could be faced with all these problems. You could be faced with the fact that you're not ready to let go. You have all this emotional trauma. But by able to understanding it now while you're living, you can work through those problems to be able to make that clear choice to cross over. Richie, in his book, Dr. Richie, in his book, uh, talks about spirits that are trapped because earthbound, uh, because of addictions. Uh, so maybe, you know, in, in his uh, NDE, he uh, is out of the body, uh, astral traveling, and uh, he stops at a bar for some reason. Uh, and in this bar, he sees that there are those who are addicted to tobacco and they're hanging on to spirits that are smoking, trying to somehow vicariously um, participate in that nicotine. And the same with alcohol. Have you, have you encountered that sort of thing? Or do, do addictions trap us uh, or can they uh, give rise to causing us to be earthbound? Oh, absolutely. You know, addictions, you know, when you're here in the physical form, are more of a mental and physical state. You're experiencing them on all levels, and you can very much hold on to that after you have become a celestial form, just in spirit and in mind, because now it's all in your mind, and that can actually transform your environment. You have that need, that want, that desire that is addiction to hold on to what it is that you were so attached to. And because of that, spirits do find that they hold on. You know, I often tell people the most addictions that I see are addictions and, and, and attachments to people more than they are objects. Um, there are those spirits that are attached. They don't want to let go of their homes. They don't want to let go of the mental state that they were in, they don't want to let go of things. It comes an addictive behavior for them, not being able to break free and, and cross over. So the addictions absolutely can have that grasp on them and create sort of a, neg- a negative and false environment for them that kind of traps them 
in a mental state where they're not able to let go. In popular movies like Poltergeist portray the possibility of these spirits abducting a living being or, you know, somehow holding them in another dimension. Um, I, I, I mean, I, I look at that and I think, you know, that's just the movies. Is that possible? I've never seen that to be possible. There may be those that have, but no, I, I honestly don't think that that would be possible. I loved that movie growing up. Um, scared the crap out of me, but I loved it. Um, but no, I, I could not imagine that, that a non-physical force could actually take a physical energy, transport it into something of a non-physical source. I don't think that's possible. Um, I know in um, science they may have ways of being able to do that. In my experience, I have never seen that. So I, could, I couldn't personally tell you that I've seen it. I would have absolutely, absolutely said that's just simply not possible until yesterday when I discovered or I read a, a new piece of research. Physicists now have found a new particle that's massless. Now wrap your head around a massless particle. What does that do to E equals MC squared? But that's a whole other, a whole other thing. <laughs> okay. They can, or let me not say it that way. Let me ask it as a question. There, we also have possession stories, all kinds of possession stories, and a history of exorcism. Uh, can these spirits literally possess a person, take control of them, uh, as in the exorcist movie? Well, there's, there's a difference. Um, when you're talking about exorcism and possession, you're talking more of a demonic energy, what I like to call a non-human negative entity. Because they are not human, they do not have that divine spark, that essence within them that's connected to divine energy. It's its own energy source. Some people believe that it's a demonic energy, almost like a fallen angel. There's many different theories behind that. Um, I have come across them, and there are many cases of demonic energy attaching to people as a possession. So the level of energy is true. I yes. don't mean to interrupt you, uh, but there is such a thing as mal- malevolent spirit. Absolutely, yes. Okay. I've, I've dealt with them quite a few times, especially in my early on in training. Um, you can definitely tell a difference between their energy and the energy of the human spirit. There are a lot of negative spirits out there um, that are trapped in between states, but they fall within spiritual law. They can attach to a person, and that's what we call an attachment, not a possession. And these are actually spirits that attach to people and can influence them through their emotions, through their mind, and can influence them so the person can then harm themselves. All right, I love it. I love it. I love it. But I'm going to ask you to hold it there, and we'll keep the entire audience on bated breath till we get back on just that. If you'd like to know more about Amy Major and her book, Toward the Light. You can check it out at Barnes & Noble or Amazon Online, as well as um, brick-and-mortar bookstores. Now, we have a video for you during the break featuring the so-called Top 5 Scariest Possessions caught on tape this year. Check it out by joining the chat room. Just go to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Change has never been easier. Whether you wish to lose weight, stop smoking, 
build better relationships, become creative, enjoy ultra prosperity, or simply relax and promote self-healing, InnerTalk has been repeatedly demonstrated effective in the most rigorous of scientific studies. Our customers love InnerTalk. Sean wrote, I have struggled with bulimia for over 30 years and have never been able to lose weight without restoring to it until I used InnerTalk. Vicky wrote, My hubby has been using the Stop Snoring CD and already his dangerous and raucous snoring levels have stopped. Celeste wrote, I recently graduated from Taft Law School with honors. I'm writing to tell you how much your InnerTalk CD, Excel in Exams, has helped me. With over 300 titles to choose from, there is something for everyone. Check it out today by going to InnerTalk.com. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Welcome back. If you're just joining us, we're speaking with Amy Major about her new book, Toward the Light. Now, Amy, we just played your second musical choice, Geronimo by Shepard. So please tell us, why is this one special to you? I just, I, I absolutely love that song uh, when it came out. And um, I actually have connected in with um, Geronimo in spirit form and actually came to me over and over and over again um, throughout my life. Uh, Geronimo was a very strong leader. He, you know, was a fighter and a warrior and, and never gave up believing and never gave up fighting for what he believed in. Um, so I feel his energy around me quite often. So when I heard that song, I could just feel the energy of the drawn look coming through. And I, and I actually work um, a lot with the St. Germain energy as well with the violet flame so that always kind of brings up that energy for me so i just love that song 
So, I mean, you indicated that you had to deal with malevolent spirits. Uh, and then we play this song, and uh, I guess there's this part of me that thinks, uh, I'm not so sure that I would want to do that. Uh, I mean, that would seem, I mean, it doesn't that take a great deal of encouragement or courage itself? Uh, is that... You know, is that the Geronimo courage that you need that you draw on, or it? How do you do that? It did. It took a very long time for me to be strong enough emotionally. It took, you know, it was my training. You know, a lot of mediums have training in dealing with connecting to very high spirits and and spiritual teachers and relaying a lot of spiritual loving messages. A lot of my training as a rescue medium was dealing with very negative spirits and demonic energies and being able to protect myself and protect others around me. And um, you do have to have a lot of courage. You sort of have to have that warrior mentality of knowing that you're here to serve and protect those around you who are in need of help. So, I mean, I'm ex-military. I'm, you know, I'm very mature very kind of a tomboyish kind of person. I'm not a sissy girl. I, I hang out with a lot of guys. I have three sons. I have three brothers. Everything I do is more on a masculine level. So I sort of feel like I had the mentality already, especially growing up. I had to be very strong and very courageous as a child going through a very traumatic childhood. So everything that I've gone through in my life has sort of built me up to become a strong person emotionally and mentally, to be able to deal with these type of negative spirits. So I think through the years in my experience, they don't they don't scare me. If anything, they bug me and they, they, they kind of anger me and at the point where I want to protect people around me. But I know how to deal with them. I work with my spirit team and my protectors on the other side, and we're able to clear them away from people that they're harming and harassing. You know, I spent years in law enforcement, and if these uh, these evil spirits are at all like I see them in the movies, I'll take the bad guy in the flesh over that any day. Mm-hmm. Listen, the Egyptian the Egyptian Book of the Dead warns us about taking the wrong door, and that if we do, evil may be lurking there behind it in this crossover journey that we take. Is there anything to the Egyptian Book of the Dead or the other books of the dead that explain that crossover process? I think they have wonderful stories. Um, but if you think about it, there are doors. There are doors that take us to the other side. They're spiritual doors. The one that you decide to go through is the one your free will dictates. You have to want to go through that. Your Your mind your emotions and your and your emotional state, everything deals with you making that free choice, that will to walk through that door. You decide whether you're going to walk through a negative door or if you walk through a positive one. It all depends on your level of vibration. And when I say that, the things that you do in your life, the actions you take, the, the way that you act towards people and the choices you make, all dictate the type of person that you are. Are you proud of yourself or have you done things to harm others? If you've done things, bad things, and negative things that have harmed others, your vibration is going to lower. You're going to have a heavier, denser vibration. So when you do cross, you're 
carrying that heavier vibration with you. So you can attract more negative spirits around you at the time of your crossing. But if you make that conscious decision, that free will, that choice to be able to lift your vibration and follow the light, you will always be accepted. So don't think that just because you've done a lot of bad things in the physical world that you're automatically going to go to a bad place. Your mind and your thought and your intentions guide the way. So you will know what's behind the door in advance of going through the door. Did I get that right? There's always going to be, depending on the type of person, um, there's always going to be a positive door, hands down. There's always going to be your guides, you know, your spiritual friends, your family. They will always be there to guide you to the other side, to the spiritual plane. But you have every right and your free choice to decide whether you're going to go, you're not going to go, or whether you decide to go down another road that takes you to a very low and dense vibration in a spiritual form. So when you do start to make the transition, many things will be presented before you. It's your choice in the matter to decide where you go. Okay. Native American tradition... When someone crosses over, and in fact, as far as I'm, as far as I know, every uh, tribe has some uh, practice uh, that typically involves attempting to wake up uh, the spirit on the other side. So there's chanting and and um, drumming, uh, dancing, uh, but it's largely based on the idea that. When you die, it's easy to fall asleep. So for a while, you're not aware that you're really on the other side uh, or that you've crossed over, and it's important that you wake up. Is there is there anything to that based on your experience, Amy? I think it all depends on the person's death, whether they're consciously aware of their death or not. There are people that go through death at very slow pace, and they're greeted by their guides and angels and family before they've even died. So when they do finally make that transition, they're sort of guided with them. They're, they're always surrounded by people. They don't have any question what's happening with them. They're fully aware. There are spirits that have gone through a very traumatic death, and some it happened so quickly that they don't even know that they died. They're sort of in like a dreamlike state. And... From there, it's very hard to wake up from that dream, depending on your mental state and being able to follow your spiritual helpers. So that's why a lot of people do get stuck in between, just because they just don't realize that they died. Interesting. Amy, you talk in your book um, about a silver cord and... You know, there's a great deal of um, controversy about that. It's a, originally, that's an Eastern idea. Uh, biblical scholars, of course, uh, there are those people that refer to ecclesiastics um, and, and the silver cord there, but that's genuinely, um, as are the other components of that verse, uh, thought to be physical parts of the body, like the spinal cord. Uh, how did you become aware of the silver cord? How, what, what is the connection between the silver cord and life? And uh, wh- where does this originate from, this idea? Is it something from experience or something from the text? I, it was mostly um, I started learning it in my training. 
and I started getting that information from my guides and my teachers on the other side. There's actually been quite a few documented cases where they've taken pictures of somebody through the dying process, and they've actually physically caught on camera a cord of their spiritual astral form into their physical form. I've seen it when I've seen somebody die, and I've seen that cord go up and disconnect from the physical body. So I've actually seen that physically taking place. This isn't something that um, most can see. This is, again, just your astral form connecting in with your physical body. It's like, well, how do you think we're able to go through our astral travel and to go out-of-body experiences without being able to come back? It's our cord that sort of says, okay, you're off to go wherever you want to go and be free as a soul, but you still have that connection. You still I know need a number, to have some type of anchor. I know a number of people who... Uh have experienced OBEs and or astral travel, do things like remote viewing and astral traveling both, who say there is no such thing as a, as a silver cord. You know, we navigate ourselves back to the body because of consciousness, and, and it is our means. When you were astral traveling young, did you see the silver cord? And where could a listener find these pictures that you're alluding to? Um, for the people who want to find, all they have to do is Google silver cord, and they come up with many different studies on the silver cord, where the theories originate from, and different pictures that have come up through the silver cord. In New Age classes and training, they teach about the silver cord theories. When I was doing astral travel, you don't see the actual physical, the silver cord, because it's always behind you. So... It, people say, oh, it comes from your chest or it comes from your head. It, it, I've always been told that it comes from behind you and it's your connection down. Because when you're doing an astral travel, you're looking onward and upward. You don't see behind you. So when you're coming back into my in my physical body, it's kind of like I'm still looking out and still looking forward. I'm just being pulled back in into my body. And it's that silver cord that kind of connects me and anchors me back into my body. I've been told by my spiritual team that there is a physical cord, a silver cord. It, it may not be silver for everybody, depending on their their physical state. It could be various colors, but there is something that connects our physical body to our astral form. Many different cultures have called it many different things. I think the New Agers call it the silver cord. I'm open to calling it whatever people want to call it. Yeah. I just know there is something that holds on to us from our astral form to our physical form. Makes that connection. Okay, well, it's a moot point. I know for myself, and I do astral project, that the first thing I do is move to the ceiling and then look back at my body. That's mm -hmm. before I leave my room, and I usually do this at bedtime. And I see nothing, but that doesn't mean that it's not there. So, all right, listen. Animals are dear to my heart, dear to my wife's heart, and dear to you. Your copy informs us that you speak to animal guides as well. Unpack that for us. So what do you mean by animal guides? Well, I actually started um, seeing my animal guide very early on. I must have been around five or six. And out of the corner of my eye, I would see um, a black panther sitting next to me 
And But it was there, but it wasn't there. It was almost like it was a memory of something sitting next to me. And I would see her walking alongside of me, and I felt very connected with her. I didn't know why, but I always had that attraction to cats and to animals, and I felt drawn to them very strongly. Um, but we all have an animal that walks with us. We take this on in our personality, in our interests, in our fears, our desires. A lot of those characteristics of these animal traits come out within us, and they walk beside us in our life to sort of guide us, inspire us, and to help us through challenges. So just like we have regular guides, we have animal spirits that come in and give us a little bit extra assistance through many different events. Native Americans, of course, this sounds like a, a genuine Native American tradition. The Paiute, for example, um, you may be a horse person, you may be a dog person, you may be a, an eagle, uh, but you know they they understand that uh, an animal is connected to the human being by way of uh, their proclivities. So a dog person may be. Well, and I think you point this out in your book, may be very protective as a case in point, uh, guardian. Um, how many, I mean, have you, have you looked at animals from that standpoint and created a characterization of what each animal, uh, you know, brings to a human being? I think there is a very heavy practice of shamanism. Um, to the Native American tradition, and what they are, they're called totem animals, and they have a very strong connection in, with animal spirits. They um, they hold great truth for many different spiritual advisors, so a lot of people have a deep connection in with animals. Everybody has an animal protector, and then everybody has an animal guide. People take on that characteristic because it's like the energy sort of merged together, and because of that, we will feel a lot of the same animal traits that this animal has because they walk so closely within us. Again, I think people feel very attracted to that animal. They always feel like they, they always have to have that animal around them. And they take on a lot of the similarities. If there's somebody who has a swan as an animal spirit, you can find that they're always wanting to be on water. You know, they're attracted to many beautiful and majestic things in their life. If somebody has the spirit animal of a dog, they're very protective, very service-oriented, and like to be around a lot of people. So they take on a lot of the same characteristics of that animal. Whether they know that they have an animal spirit or not, that's always there within them. Now, your book makes it clear that there's an animal heaven. And so when we're talking about an animal spirit here, I can think of it in two ways. I can think of it as the spirit of an animal, or I can think of it as the spirit of this animal. So when you say a spirit, uh, are you talking about, you know, let's assume that you were a dog person and I were a dog person for the moment. Would my dog be the same as your dog, or are these two different dogs? Oh, definitely two different dogs. We, um, so this is like, you know, go ahead, I'm sorry. The, you know, when I talk about animal spirits, I'm talking about animal guides, the ones that, that walk beside us and help us in our lives. They come to us 
you know, we have main animal guides that come with us and they're with us throughout our entire life. This is your individual, your personal animal that walks beside you. Now that we do have animals that are with us in our physical lives that are our pets or, um, you know, farm animals. We have many different animals with us that transition into spirit and they become spirit animals and they too can come back and guide us and walk beside us and help us out. But we do have that one animal guide that connects in with us and with our life. And everybody has their own individual animal. A unique animal, not an archetype. Right. Okay. Um, you know, staying on the subject of animals for a moment, I've, I understand that it's very possible that... Uh, Human beings can, a spirit, a human spirit who's passed over, uh, can take up uh, an animal and uh, become like a a guide, a medium, but it'd be a in-the-flesh animal. So you've acquired an animal that actually has a human spirit that's there to help you. Have you encountered that at all? I have not encountered that um, for me. I know I've worked with a lot of people more in shamanism, and I think that's more popular in that type of phase and culture. Um, there are a lot of people that say that, you know, through reincarnation they can come back in an animal form, but they are a human spirit, and they come through to be of assistance. Uh, there's a lot of people that believe that. Um, in my personal experiences, I have not dealt with that now. Okay, is there an evolution of spirits then? Because that's the other thing, since we're on that, transmigration and all that, reincarnation theory. Uh, does an animal spirit become a human spirit at some point? Does a, a an insect spirit become an animal spirit at some Is there an evolution to uh, the spirit itself moving into higher forms? Or is that just all hocus-pocus bunk? I believe that you have free will. You have the choice when you do cross and you decide whether you want to be reincarnated or not because, again, everything comes down to free will. You have the choice to come back as a human. You have the choice to come back as an animal. And you have the choice to come back as some other source, energy source, such as a tree here on this planet. You have the right to come back in any shape or form that you choose, depending on the purpose and what you're trying to learn and experience through that purpose. I don't so, think we should be so restricted to say we can only become a human. I don't think that the, the universe and the spiritual world is too expansive, too vast, to say that we would be so restricted to do that. So have you ever dealt with a spirit, say a human spirit, that was coming through to you as an animal or through to you as a tree or something of that nature? I don't think we carry the um, the memories to be able to do so. I mean, oh. there's many times you come back, you know, we've had, you know, hundreds if not thousands of lives. You don't really have those memories of your past with you. So for somebody to come through and say, oh, I was a dog in my past life, most of them wouldn't carry that memory or that experience within their consciousness. They wouldn't be aware of that. You know, they may take on a lot of characteristics or feel like, oh, I really may have been a dog in a past life because I really love to play in water and I love to chase people and I love to do all these things. I really feel really connected with that. 
there's the there's the, definitely the chance of somebody saying that, but I don't think consciously that they would be that aware of it. Is that because of a lower state of consciousness? I guess I'm a little confused here because people often claim to recall past lives. You yourself recalled a number of past lives when you were a child, dreamed about them. Uh, so is it because of a limited difference in consciousness, aware, personal awareness or something, uh, an animal versus a human, that we never are able to remember a life as an animal? I think many people that actually experience past lives or remember past lives, they're remembering the memory, they're remembering the emotions connected in with those lives. They actually, men actually have um, images or daydreams or dreams about past lives. But I think the lives that sort of get remembered the most are the ones that are either the most traumatic or have some sort of event that put enough of pressure or enough of um, some sort of um, substantial emotional contact with that soul, something that they have to take with them and bring with them into their new life, something that All they're right. consciously taking we're gonna, in to learn we're a lesson have to, from. Once again, hold it there, and when we get back, we can pick it back up. The book is Toward the Light by Amy Major. We're glad you tuned in today. We know you have many choices, and we're grateful you chose to join us. We love your feedback, so please join me on Facebook and or drop me an email at eldon at eldontaylor.com. I love sharing your letters and comments on the show, and that's a great way for you to participate. We'll be right back following this short break. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Eldon Taylor. Gotcha. The explosive new book by New York Times bestselling author Eldon Taylor explores the 24-7 bombardment of information designed to win the hearts and minds of the public. He demonstrates how new sound bites are championed into personal awareness, becoming memes of the culture. Your very decision process is being managed and manipulated, and the quest for discovering your real self becomes exponentially more difficult, if not impossible, as a result. Pre-order now. EldonTaylor.com slash gotcha. Hi, I'm Eldon Taylor, and you're listening to Provocative Enlightenment Radio. I'm so glad you could join me as we tackle those tough questions in search of the answers that really matter. But remember, this is a journey we are undertaking together, so I would love to hear your thoughts as well. Please send your comments to Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com. You can also join in the conversation by... Joining me on Facebook at Dr. Eldon Taylor, that's D-R-E-L-D-O-N-T-A-Y-L-O-R. Now, back to the show. I keep going to the river to pray because I need something that can wash up pain and I'm sleeping all these demons away. What's your ghost? The ghost that it wakes me away. My friends, I can figure it out. Yeah, that's so I'm inside of you. It's your heart and another you. But your evil's coming through. These guys sitting on the wall. Well, they watch every move I make. My life living in the shade. You go
Welcome back. We've been chatting with Annie Major about her life, work, and new book, Toward the Light. In this half hour, we'll take your calls, so if you have questions, give us a call or advance your comments and questions in our chat room. And remember, I love your feedback, and a great place for that is on Facebook, so I invite you to join me there today. All right, Amy, we just played your third musical choice, Ghost, by Ella Henderson. Please tell us why this one, like I can't guess. <laughs> I think that's pretty obvious. <laughs> Anything, every time I hear a song with Ghost, and it definitely hits home. So I just, I just love that beat. It was wonderful. It's also being able to clear away a lot of the demons that we face and being able to clear that negativity away from us and being able to refresh. But um, definitely with the word ghost, i got to connect in with it. All right, listen, let's, let's take on a few other issues, if we can, or subjects from your book. I understand you see auras, and something I've always been curious about is, do you see these energy fields around spirits as well as around, you know, human beings? I do. Um, most of the time when I see those orbs, they're more in an orb form. Um, a lot of orbs can come through as many different colors according to their aura, and their aura is dictated on their emotional state. So it all depends on, you know, the energy that's surrounding them at that time. Um, their emotional state will come through, and depending on their color, I'll understand and I'll merge in with that color. But, yeah, I do see auras around spirit just as much as people, but I think it's amplified even more with people because the auras are also dictated on their physical state and mental state. So I think it's amplified even more with a physical person. Okay, so when you're dealing with the spiritual world today, like, and I, and I want to get right into what it is that you do with Spirit Rescue. And by the way, I loved your book. Um, you're seeing these spirits at the same time you're communicating with them. Is that right? It depends on the spirit. But yes, I, I can see them. I don't see them the way um, that you see on TV. You know, there's a lot of TV shows out there that show that they're just walking up to the spirit, and the spirit looks like everybody else. It doesn't quite work that way uh, for my type of abilities. I can see them, but I see them as an energy source, and from there I can see flashes and images of what they will look like and what they may have looked like in their life. But I'll obviously, I'll mostly feel them, and I'll experience their emotions, and I'll communicate them. Um, telepathy is a very strong way of being able to communicate with these spirits, so sort of merge with their energy, and it'll be an exchange of information, but I can see them in my mind. All right, so let's let's just take your typical rescue, if there is such a thing. Uh, I don't, you know, let's assume that you're, you're one of our, you know, emergency responders, I guess. <laughs> what what is it that, you know, you typically encounter, again, uh, if there is such a thing, when you rescue a spirit? Wh- what do you go through? Well, I think, well, most of the spirits that I rescue actually end up coming to me. Um, a lot of people automatically think we go and we get called into all these haunted homes. Um, that does happen quite frequently. But the, I would say the bulk of spirits that actually come and need rescuing are the ones that actually come to me. Um, they'll come to me mostly when I'm driving in my car. 
um, when I'm sitting at work, when I'm sitting and doing dishes, whatever I'm doing, they'll come and they'll I'll feel them sort of walk in and then we'll just start chatting. We'll, we'll talk and we'll figure out what's going on. Most of the time these spirits sort of just want to hang out and what I call hang around and see what I'm doing, connecting with me, have them go through a lot of counseling and um, when they're ready to cross over, I'll bring in family and friends and loved ones guides to help them and to sort of carry them to the other side. When I'm called in as a traditional rescue, what we call a direct rescue, uh, where we get called into a place that someone feels is haunted, the first thing we do is what I, um, I scan the area of all energy. I want to know what I'm going into. I want to know, is this residual energy? Is this an earthbound energy? Is this a spirit that's crossed over, is coming back in just for a visit, or is this a demonic energy? I'd like to know what I'm dealing with before I get in there. Um, so I will scan the energy. I'll see what I have to deal with. Um, if it is an earthbound spirit, I'll usually walk up and I'll start communicating with them. Um, I'll go through their emotional state. I'll do a lot of counseling. I'll usually bring in family and friends and a guide from the other side, and we'll sort of all work together as a team to communicate with this spirit and try to find out what they need to resolve in order for them to make that conscious decision to cross over. And from there, once they do make that decision, their spirit team sort of takes over. They sort of guide them to the other side. And what I do after that is there's a lot of residual energy left over. I will do what I call cleaning house, and I'll go and I'll clean out all remaining residual energy from the place, and I'll help raise the vibration so that it's more positive or, or neutral vibration so that people no longer feel threatened or scared. One of the things that seems to be quite common uh, practice around the world when it comes to cleaning negativity uh, from a room or, or, you know, a physical abode is uh, the use of salt around the perimeter. Do you do that sort of thing, or are you cleansing the energy um, from a spiritual standpoint, mentally? I think a lot of those are best used for residual energy. Salt's not going to take away a negative spirit. Uh, smudging is not going to take away a negative spirit. Um, candles, with this, what we call tools. These are all tools that people use, objects that help stimulate a vibration of energy within a space. So a lot of people actually use salt because it actually neutralizes energy ions and then it will neutralize the energy and vibration of the space that you're residing in. People do use salt around doors and windows more as a superstition, um, but it can also be used to help neutralize that energy. Um, if you do have negative energy or residual energy in your home, it can neutralize that and help clear it away. But if you do have a negative or even demonic energy in your home, that's really not going to be helpful. Is then things like burning sage, um, they're going to do, as you suggest, with candles and salt, but they're not going to clear what you call demonic energies. Right. They're more to neutralize energy. That's non. That's a non-intelligent source, more like residual energy. It can sort of push out and neutralize the ions and the energy. What residual energy is, and most of the time is, is a dense and negative energy source that you can sense and feel within your space because something's happened. It leaves its kind of residue behind. A very traumatic event can occur 
and it leaves its residual energy behind. And that's why the people are really picking up on the kind of misinterpreted of thinking that it's a haunting when really it's not. They're just sensing a lot of hard and, and negative emotions, sadness, anger, guilt, rage. All these emotions are being displayed within that residual energy. So they interpret it as a haunting. Now, these tools can be used to clear this out because it is an intelligence source. You don't need to have their free will in order for them to go. It doesn't have that. It's sort of using this, these tools to sort of push out that energy from your space to neutralize or even make it more of a positive energy source in your home. All right. There's a television show that my youngest son is addicted to. It's called Supernatural. And in 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 the show, demonic energies manifest in a variety of of forms. Should I say, um, when you talk about a demonic energy, please flesh that out for me. What what are you what are you talking about? I mean, these are demons. These are uh, you know Beelzebub's little creatures, or what? I joke around and I say they're fleas, but um. <laughs> I, I I say that because they're they're like pests. They come in and they're they harass you, um, sometimes harm you. Um, they can be painful and they're very hard to get rid of. So I was I always joke around say that they're like please. As a rescue medium, I very much try not to deal with demonic energy. I deal with spirits of a human sort, even animals. I deal with a spirit that's connected to the divine energy that has lost their way, that has gone through a traumatic experience that clouds or disillusions them from being able to cross over. And I help counsel them and get them to cross and help find their way to the other side. It's very rare that I have to deal with the demonic energy. Most of the time, this demonic energy may be attached to an earthbound spirit. And that's the only time that I would really deal with that type of source. The reason I know they're a demonic energy and not an earthbound spirit is because they feel hollow. They don't have that divine spark within them. They don't have that divine connection to the source, to the higher consciousness. They're hollow. They have a very dense, very negative, very low vibration, and you can definitely tell the difference between the two. I don't know exactly what they are, where they originate from. A lot of people feel that like they're like lost angels, fallen angels. I do know that there have been demonic energies that are created from negative energies. So if you get enough negative energy together, it can manifest and create its own physical self, its own form. It's kind of like taking a lot of sand or a lot of gas, and when you build it all together, the mass can be so heavy and so strong that it creates its own life force. There are negative demonic energies that are like that, um, but then there are also the kind that actually come through that seem like fallen angels or their own entity source. I don't really get into that or involved with that again because I don't work with them. That would be more of a line of a demonologist or somebody that works with as a clearing specialist for demonic energy. I try to very much work mainly just with earthbound spirits uh, and help them find their way. So, I mean, do you ever meet a spirit that just simply doesn't want to be rescued? I mean, maybe a relative has come to you or you're getting spirit communication to help someone, but, you know, dude says, hey, get out of my face. 
quite often, actually. <laughs> really? We, as rescue mediums, we're here to help counsel them. And quite honestly, there's a lot of spirits out there that are just not ready for help. They've gone done a lot of very bad negative things in their life, and they know it, and they don't want to be judged. Though so I do not ever judge a spirit for what they've done. I'm here to counsel and guide them. I'm not here to judge them. But there are a lot of spirits that are nasty, and they've sort of become the mirror image of their negative energy. They just, they're not receptive to any help in any way. I cannot force that spirit to cross over. I don't, nobody can force the spirit to do anything. It goes against free will. And I can, though, bring in spiritual team on the other side, what I call the spirit police. And that can come in and help clear the spirit from the area. They can't get it to cross over either, but they can clear the spirit away from an energy, especially if they're harming or harassing somebody here in the physical world. It goes against spiritual law. So you can clear them out, but you cannot make them cross over. All right. You, you just triggered something in me. I cannot avoid this question. I've asked it of many people. If, if you know, you're not ready to face, have you ever encountered a spirit energy or would you think that you might encounter a spirit energy trapped, as you say, not ready to cross over, of the, of the ilk of uh, a, a Mengele or a Hitler? I think there are a lot of very low vibrational energy sources that are earthbound. I have connected in with a lot of nasty ones. I do not connect in with their energy long enough for me to get into knowing exactly who they are. Um, I kind of try not to. With a lot of spirits that I deal with, I don't go, oh, who were you in this life? What did you do? And, you know, I don't get into that because I find it's not necessarily necessary at the time. Um, for the very low vibrational energies, yes. Such as, um, such as Hitler. I absolutely believe that he could be earthbound. I have not connected in with an energy source like that. Um, I don't think I want to, but there are a lot of negative sources out there that sort of just dwell around and harm and harass people. Um, it's, a, it's a large world, and I'm sure somebody has connected in with his energy or a very nasty spirit such as himself. Um, I don't think that he would have made the conscious decision to cross over due to the judgment that's probably faced before him. But, again, I personally haven't dealt with that type of energy. Okay, let me ask you this. There's a lot of, you know, conversation chatter about collective consciousness and directions of collective consciousness and progress of collective consciousness. In, in this trapped, the, all these traps, so that's a collective consciousness of itself, earthbound. Is it? exerting a force on all of us now? And, and and if so, as it gains strength, does it exert even more of a force? There is. I think they connect in with that collective consciousness more than they are when they were in a physical state. But you have to understand, their state and their awareness is, is disillusioned from their emotions. Their emotions will cloud and confuse the spirit, they'll still be very much connected in with that that global or that, that consciousness, that collectiveness of us. And what that really is, is that's us connected into the divine energy, the source, 
which is connected into everybody else. So we're all connected in with that central consciousness. That doesn't stop or cease to exist when you become a spirit form, especially as an earthbound. You just, you know, they ignore it. They don't pay attention to it. They pay attention to the emotions and the trauma associated with their earthbound status. So they're not necessarily aware as they could be for those spirits that have crossed over and have become more in tune with the collective consciousness. They decide to not pay attention to it. So it's always there. They're just not aware of it. But then um, I would assume a human being dealing with a trauma or, you know, uh, may well tap into that earthbound uh, sentiment, consciousness, if you will, and it could exacerbate uh, their feelings already dealing with, you know, uh, fear, grief, or whatever. Is that true? Oh, absolutely. I think um, with earthbound spirits, they told me that they're very much aware of other earthbound spirits around them. Um, it's almost kind of like they're all, the vibration of energy has its own consciousness. At every level of existence that you reside in, there's a different level of consciousness within that vibration. And when you get to an earthbound spirit level, they all connect in together. They're all very much aware of themselves and everyone connected in with that earthbound status. I've had many spirits come to me and they come together as a group. So they find each other. They're aware of each other. And I think, if anything, it comforts them and relieves their stress. I don't think it makes it any worse for them because, as humans, we all need to be with each other. We all want to have our individuality, but in source, we all come back to each other. We all have to have that connection with each other, and that doesn't cease to exist when you become a spirit form. If anything, you feel it even greater, which is why a lot of earthbound spirits connect in with each other. All right, I'm being unfair. I've got dozens more questions, but we've got phone lines in the chat room. So I'm going to go to the <laughs> chat room right now. Mark in the chat room says, uh, "You, she, I'm just going to read what he has here. She said she has worked with St. Germain and the Violet Flame. Can she elaborate more on, the Saint, on who St. Germain is? Does she work with other such beings? Okay. Uh, St. Germain is... Um, what we call an ascended master. Um, when you get to a certain level of understanding and consciousness um, that is of service, a greater consciousness and understanding of your divine self and your connection in with the divine energy, um, St. Germain is of that source, of a higher energy source, what we call ascended masters. From there, you can touch in and connect in with that energy source and you can gain insights, information, and guidance to help you through understanding situations that you're experiencing. The violet flame is a very protective, very cleansing energy that sort of cleanses your aura from negativity and stress and many things that are going on within your sense of your physical world. So when I connect in with the St. Germain energy, I'm sort of using that to help me cleanse and connect with other earthbound spirits and helping using that violet flame to help cleanse their aura and their emotions. And it also helps cleanse me and my aura, especially when I'm done dealing with the earthbound spirit, 
because of all the residual and negative energy that's attached to me. So that's right. how I do connect with them. Okay, Amy, we're about out of time, and I want you to have the opportunity to tell everybody how they can connect with you, learn more about you, obtain your book, uh, attend the courses that you uh, provide, etc. So please take that time now. Absolutely. Um, they can reach me, um, my website, which is amymajor.com. You can also reach me through Facebook. You can Google Amy Major Rescue Medium. And you can find me on Facebook. I'm definitely here to answer any questions that you have. And if anyone wants to learn anything about rescue mediumship, I have created a chat group on Facebook. It's called Rescue Mediumship. I make it very easy um, to connect in. I'll add you on to the group, and you can ask any questions that you have. I do teach uh, intermediate mediumship. I'm a member of the Spiritualist Church here in New Hampshire. I am teaching mediumship right now in the summer and probably continuing on since it's a huge class right now. And I will be continuing, and I am actually starting my second book now, uh, which hopefully will be coming out in a year or so. So I've got a lot of projects going on. But um, anyone, I welcome anyone to come and connect with me, ask any questions that they have. I'm here to help. All right, wonderful. Again, the book is Toward the Light. Rescuing Spirits, Trapped Souls, and Earthbound Ghosts by Amy Major. And it's been our pleasure, Amy, for to have you here today. And, and I want to thank you for both your work and your willingness to share it all with us. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank our guest again and all of you out there for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show, and we'll join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends. Let's have them join us as well. Okay, until next time, wherever you are in the world, remember, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at EldonTaylor.com.